There are many voices in the Catholic Church of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, that want to bring light to their journey of faith. In His Light podcast is a new podcast from Father Reginald Samuels, the vicar of Catholic of African descent of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. This podcast centers on information, stories, and experiences of the Catholics of African descent in the Archdiocese. The aim and goal of the podcast are to foster a culture of dialogue and engage in the many diverse cultures of African descent that are present in the Catholic community. Let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, as we send our praises up, please send your blessings down upon each and every one of us, allowing us to experience your love in our lives. As we come here today, Lord, allow our hearts to be open to your will so that we can do justice to this world and bring about your love to our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, I want to introduce to you one of our newest priests of our archdiocese, Father Houston. So, Father Houston, please introduce yourself and tell us about tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, Father Reggie. It's a pleasure being here today. Uh, my name is Father Houston Okoma, a priest of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. I've been a priest for just about four months or so. Wow. Uh, it's been a nice, uh, nice, wonderful ride. I'm a priest, uh, parochial vicar at St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church right near the medical center. Uh, it's definitely awesome. Wow. Definitely way better than I could ever expect. That's, that's wonderful. I, that, I'm sure you can still smell the chrism on your hands. Oh, yeah, it's right there on my hands and on my beard. It's just <laughs> dripping down. <laughs> so, Father Houston, tell us a little bit about your vocation story. Oh, How yeah. did you come about um, becoming a priest of the Archdiocese? Um, I didn't think about the, the priesthood in any other fashion or form other than in the diocesan manner, just being a priest of this local area. Um, Growing up, I am um, the firstborn of a Nigerian-American family. My parents both immigrated from Nigeria, my dad in 82, and my mom in 90. Um, they were pen pals in Nigeria and then uh, officially met here, got married, and then had me. Uh, and I'm the oldest of four siblings. So uh, the idea of stability, the idea of wanting to make sure that uh, success was at hand was very, very much so a thing a thing and a theme in our household. Uh, therefore, my dad wanted me to be a doctor uh, or a pharmacist or a lawyer, engineer, mayor of Houston. Uh, he wanted me to do something that was big, but something that established stability um, in the house and then also for the rest of my siblings. So he named me Houston so I could be, um, so I could be really, really important because it reminded him of the city, such symbolism reminded him of the city that greeted him when he came in 1982, how big, how bolsterous, how industrious it was. He wanted his son and his children to be just the same. Um, But in second grade, no, first grade, um, I took a tour of the church. My home parish is St. Christopher's uh, Catholic Church um, on 
on 45, close to 610, southeast side of town, closest to Hobby Airport. I We had a nice outing field trip to the church. We were um, being led by my now confirmation sponsor. Um, we took a trip to the altar, just kind of looked around and saw a good, nice tour of the area. Uh, at that point, the chair was behind the altar. So I looked around and and uh, to the outside where there are pews just kind of sort of in the dark. And I thought, this is a nice spot to be in. Uh, I didn't know that at the time that my teacher was just kind of looking at me staring. And she said, you know, you can be a priest one day. And I thought, no way. Why? This is, this is kind of cool. But first you'd have to sit there. That was the altar server bench uh, where I continued to serve afterwards, after receiving communion for the first time, um, all the way till now. Never left. Um, just the idea of the priesthood, you know, struck me at that time. It's a place of authority. Of course, the oldest child would say that, but also something was very significant at that moment. And then it was through serving mass and understanding who I was, a person that always wanted to serve, even in the classroom at school. Um, the priesthood seemed second nature, but at the end of high school, something it felt as as, as something that I could do, not something that I wanted to do. Even on altar serving, I would hear songs and of uh, like the summon song or the servant song, and I, I thought, oh, what's that feeling in, in my tummy? You know, what is that that the Lord? Uh, I guess it was the Lord placing in my uh, in my heart. Uh, I did name myself Peter. I chose the name Peter as I got confirmed to always remind myself that um, I could be the rock in people's lives because that was kind of like an ongoing theme. Uh, in my life, that I was there just to listen to people, and it's something that I would do uh, with joy. It was just awesome. Um, going to college, uh, I was you know, pursuing pharmacy at the University of Houston. Ended up studying nutritional sciences, just courts in that path. And I knew at the end that it just wasn't enough. Um, after college at the University of Houston, I decided to go immediately to seminary because I knew that I would rather serve God than make six figures um, in any field, whether it's uh, pharmacy or physical therapy. It just wasn't good enough because instead of studying for a chemistry test, I would rather you know, sit at the bench with the young lady that was crying and try and make sure that she was feeling better. It would always be of serving other people than myself. The priesthood was just inevitable. Uh, so I decided to uh, go to seminary, call Father Dad and say, hey, I think I'm ready for this thing. Um, uh, what do I do? Well, first you have to go to a retreat and maybe you'd receive the application there. OK, all right. I couldn't really talk about it to my family. I just I knew that they wouldn't really understand. But in making that decision to move forward, I knew that the Lord was calling me to to do something that was bigger than myself. It was for him. Uh, and it's a choice that I'd make fervently day after day. Wow, that's wonderful. So once you entered seminary, what was seminary like for yeah. you? Yeah, seminary, I, I hated the first semester. It was a change. Um, even in college, I, 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 uh, I was a commuter. I, I lived at home. So being away and having the true college experience was foreign to me. Uh, coming to seminary, um, letting someone else dictate my schedule, um, having classes that I didn't know that I needed to be <laughs> to be a priest studying philosophy, um, 
it was just quite different living with 150 people at St. Ben's Seminary in Louisiana. Um, it was just a whole mix and change. And it forced me to really move beyond myself and what I thought was comfortable onto what the Lord was calling me to do. The first semester was a struggle. My grades tanked. I never, I didn't recognize uh, who I was in regards to my grades. But I just knew that whatever I had to do must be for the Lord and not just a task that I would just carry on. At that moment, it was just a task to reach the next step. There wasn't any room for a need of transformation with my heart and submitting myself to his will. All that is something that I had to learn and wanted to learn because I knew that whatever I was doing at that point wasn't allowing me to be comfortable enough. I didn't see myself. Sure, I wanted to be a priest, but how I was going to get there needed a change. Um, soon after, and maybe pretty quickly, um, just devoting myself to God and the gift of the holy hour, really asking the Lord intentionally, hey, look, I need help instead of wanting to do things on my own as I was accustomed to doing, um, whether it's calling the shots as the oldest or doing this or making moves or whatever. It's some things that were just used, I was used to doing, but instead asking the Lord to really take this burden and help me. Help me, Lord, because I'm trying to help you and your church. Um, and, and the Lord really listened. Yeah, he came to my aid only because I was disposed to it. I had no low, no anywhere lower to go. I didn't have my mom's food to comfort me. It was uh, five to six hours away. Um, but what I did have is the Lord, and he helped me for sure. And then seminary became a breeze ever since. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So as you moved and transitioned out from seminary to being a priest, how has it been? How has your experience been so far? And what what are some of the challenges that you have faced from moving from being a seminarian to a priest in the archdiocese. One thing that's very, very important that I found that I learned early on in seminary, to know thyself, that is so important, to know how you act, how, how we respond personally and internally to change. Um, big changes are, is something that I um, resist in my own very being in my body. Um, sure, I'm naturally an introvert, Sure, I like consistency. Change is different, especially when it's um, quote-unquote imposed and, and not necessarily sought. Um, you know, those things I have to be attentive to because then I would see or feel like my body's shutting down or frequent headaches or just frequent uh, instability or uncomfort. So I knew intentionally to look out for that because even though the priesthood is something I wanted, um, how it would go about and how it will manifest itself was going to be something completely new to me. Even though I had experiences of ministry um, during seminary in the parish at St. Faustina or at St. Anthony of Padua, these various places, the priesthood was going to be different, and I had to be open to that change. Um, we cannot be open to that change in any other way other than prayer. Really submitting our own will, surrendering our own ego because it is not needed. The gift of the priesthood is the gift of servanthood. The gift of the priesthood is the gift of being a father. Just as um, I would invite married couples to really understand what they're getting into, like submitting our own individual wills for the greater good. Um, I didn't. It was more than something that I needed to just do, but it was more so a thing of being. 
that realization just kind of helped me in my transition in my brief four months as a priest. Um, understanding that what I need to do, sure, you know, I celebrate Mass, do all the necessary things of just ministerial priesthood, be available for confessions, um, being able to hear people out. What I needed to do is to really listen to what the Lord is calling me to do right now. Because many people, just kind of like children, you know, asking their parents, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this. Well, what's really important? What do they really need? In the same way, I have to constantly check myself and see, well, what do the people of God need? Sometimes the people of God can answer that for themselves. Sometimes I can answer that for them. But most importantly, it is the Lord that drives us and guides us and shifts our attention to where it needs to be. So being attentive and really intentionally looking for the Lord, even in the littlest thing, is what helped me in the last four months. Wow. Wow. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Tell me something. Now, moving towards seminary to priesthood, how has the issue or the fact that you are a priest and a seminarian, seminarian and a priest of African descent how has those two aspects of your life challenged you in your formation and in your priesthood so far? Sometimes I joke and I laugh and I think um, with my name being Houston, sometimes that catches people off guard, um, especially when I was in Louisiana. Um, you know, I'm sure when people you know, walked up to uh, introduce themselves to me and vice versa, they expected a name other than Houston or city name. So whatever I'd say, yeah, my name's good morning. My name's Houston. Okay, I didn't ask for uh, the response would be, I didn't ask for where you're from. And then I'd say, no, my name is Houston Nakoma. And I'm sure you're looking at this big uh, uh, 5'11", over 200-pound guy and thinking, oh, um, you know, he, he looks different. Maybe he's, like, uncomfortable. And I see that's, that's quite a uh, benevolent, uh, non-malicious action, of course. But then, you know, when I really say that, no, my name is Houston Okoma and I'm studying for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, oh, that kind of catches people a little, a little bit. And then I get to just kind of reaffirm that, hey, you know, I'm here to serve, I'm here to learn, and I'm here to understand all the little intricacies about the priesthood, how I can grow. And then, oh, that, that kind of sort of evens the tension a little bit. Uh, but one thing that I mean, I do... I have carried with me over the last seven years. It's not necessarily a burden, but it's a it's a, a thing of joy for me personally. Um, I do not know of any Nigerian-born, uh, excuse me, American-born Nigerian um, to have studied and become a priest, um, one who was born and raised in, in the United States to have become a priest. I believe I'm the first one um, if anyone has you know, found out or know of someone else, you know, please let me know. I'd love to talk to them. But it's a different <laughs> thing, and I understand the challenge, simply because this is not where we're supposed to be. And I, I echo those sentiments um, while what, listening. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so my dad, um, I always joke with him with uh, this particular comment. Um, when I broke the news to him um, and also to my family, uh, he, the first thing he yelled out was stupid and then walked away. Uh, being a, um, 
particular he being active in the church and being ushers and serving the community uh, in many regards. Being a priest was to kind of sort of, uh, um, it, it was to shortchange oneself. Um, and I definitely didn't want to do that, but I knew at the same time, being that um, I got the ability to go to college, I was able to think of, of a profession in the medical field to be successful, I had no reason to fail. And being a priest seemed like, well, you're giving everything away to just, you know, follow God. And that's for what doing, you're doing what other people should have done because they had no other avenue for quote unquote success. Um, and I understood that my dad would feel that way um, simply because the idea was prosperity, success, stability. The priesthood was the opposite. I, I wouldn't be making anything near <laughs> a pharmacist or a doctor, uh, maybe mayor would make. Uh, I'd be leaving the family. I'd be um, maybe unavailable in great majority of the time. Uh, so this was just completely contrary to what the life my dad had in mind versus the life that that I proposed to him. Um, the thing about it is, you know, this whole priestly life, it just, you don't see many people of African descent um, who understands American culture, just kind of standing there behind the altar, understanding, um, you know, what's going on, what different fears, what different aspects um, are, are to be understood. And I do see that many times, even in seminary, you know, some guys just don't understand the cultural nuances that may affect and might be at play. Um, and it's unfortunate, but that doesn't mean that one is not called to serve and to be better and to really step up and grow in that leadership aspect. Because the priesthood itself um, sure is universal with the gift of baptism, participating in the three munera of Christ, but also it's something that Jesus Christ instituted, not one particular man, not one particular culture, not one particular nation institutes. It's of Christ, and therefore, it's something that I can definitely participate in. And how have you seen your participation in the priesthood shaping you so far in the four months that you've been a priest? I am a father. Uh, I don't have one kid or two kids or three. I have everyone in my uh, local parish boundary is my kid, is my child. Um, I, I'd extend that wherever I am. And there's a person there, another person there. They are my child as well, because the gift of spiritual fatherhood is one that exists and comes from Christ himself and is one that is extended to the whole wide world because it is one of mercy, one of reminding everyone that God is, exists here. The kingdom of heaven is now. And it's a guarantee that my job is to make sure that that person goes to heaven. Um, it's not determined by race. It's not determined by ethnicity. It's not determined by culture. Um, it's, it just depends upon the fact that you and I are a human person. And I've been gifted the grace in order to help that and will that and intentionally do so physically, especially in this world. Um, just the idea of spiritual fatherhood cannot be taken lightly. Um, Sure, you know, personally, and you know, there are various um, thoughts, but if someone walked up to me and, and called me by, hey, Houston, 
that, that doesn't undermine my own fatherhood. That doesn't underline, undermine my own personal identity um, as a person and then also as a priest. But the fact how I respond to that person out of love, out of charity, out of all things good, out of harmony within myself, knowing that Christ exists in me and will work through me is what's important. Because those are the things that kind of sort of get me uh, through a, a, a tough day. Uh, sometimes when when many refer to a priest as just an administrator or maybe the bad guy or just this particular person with that particular opinion, you know, those things still don't change the fact that I'm a father with the spiritual care over another individual. Um, not something that I lord over uh, others, kind of like the Gentiles do, as we heard a few readings ago, but in a way that en en enables me to really see past the outside and know that that person is a child of Christ and wanting to help that and make them better is a, is a goal of mine, particularly. Mother Houston, how do you feel that we can encourage our young men to become a part of formation to the priesthood? How can we even encourage men of African descent to become men of the priesthood? Um, there are so few. Yeah. Um, between me being one of the first African-Americans to be ordained in a number of years in our archdiocese to a fellow priest who is of African descent, who is able to share both his cultures being ordained in our archdiocese. How can we encourage other men of African descent to the priesthood? It comes to a, a phenomenal breakdown as to what life really is. Sure, there are multitude of treasure. There's a multitude of things that take our attention. There are a multitude of things that we can do. I should have been a doctor by now. I should have had four kids, maybe a six-car garage, a beautiful wife. Um, that, that might not have been too hard to accomplish. Um, but at the same time, what is this life really about? If it's a life lived for me and only me, uh, then maybe I'm, I'm not understanding of who God is and what my integrity is. The first formula is to understand our integrity. Many of us have had a loss of a true father figure in our lives. Fortunately, I've been able to have that. Um, sure, me and my dad and I differ in many different things, but at the same time, just his presence is excellent. Uh, understanding our integrity, even if we don't have like a physical father in our lives, but we have a heavenly father who gives us our own very person, the many gifts that we have, the many ta talents that we have acquired, the many skills. All of that is to be used for a greater good. Because quite frankly, all the temporal pleasures that we seek and see in the world, all those will die. And they will leave us unfulfilled if we continue to pursue that. Who are we? And that kind of sort of goes down to an understanding and taking pride of who we are on the outside, looking at ourselves in the mirror and say, yeah, the Lord has called me. The Lord has chosen me and I'm a great and I'm wonderfully made a good sense of self self acceptance because there is nothing wrong with you. Sometimes some some people have uh, different um, um, abnormalities that we call abnormalities. 
um, you know, sometimes people with autism or people with different joints and problems and et cetera. And, you know, you might call upon themselves and thinking that, you know, something's wrong with them. There is nothing wrong with you because the mere fact that the Lord has called us and created us, the mere fact that we are alive is the way that God himself works through the world, through a baby, just as he would work through me. It is the gift of instrumentality that we are good enough and that the Lord will use us provided that we let him. We cannot afford to get ourselves in the way. What we think is right, what we think is appropriate versus what others think doesn't matter. What does matter is that we are loved. We are treasured by God, the Father, the Most High, even if we're not able to see that love and feel it by all those structures that other people may have. What is important is the fact that we have been called, we have been made in God's image and likeness just as everyone else and have the opportunity to participate in that priestly life of Christ, even if it's not with the collar on, but we're still called to give of ourselves to others. And that, that particular call is not limited to any race or ethnicity or being. What it is is an understanding of who we are first and loving and appreciating who we are and the way we've made and moving forward to disposing ourselves, allowing ourselves to really see that God is going to use me for something. I need to be the best person that I can be and listening to God to say, okay, what is it that you want me to be? For me, it happened to be the priesthood. And I think for many of us are called, we're all called to be a priest in certain ways, but the gift of the ministerial priesthood, being a clergy, being called father, um, that call is not limited to a certain number, few number of people, uh, given their particular background or what they like or don't like. That call is given to us because the Lord has chosen us uniquely to do something. We cannot close our ears to that. And what do you see as the challenges going forward in your priesthood and in the priesthood of the archdiocese? Um, how can we be... Um, how can we move forward um, being people of African descent and the challenges that we do face? How can we be better people and better priests in our archdiocese? Accountability is huge. Accountability is, you know, we, we, we preach the gift of confession, which is beautiful. You know, I can... I can definitely, you know, call myself out and say, hey, Lord, I committed the sin of this. I committed the sin of that. But then the gift of confession with a priest allows for a good sense of accountability. Me looking at you and saying, yeah, I did do this. And me not wanting to look at you again to say that in the future, say I did this. The gift of accountability allows us to really see, okay, I've done this. I need to do better. Or we have done this and we need to do better. Um, there is a, a time as a deacon in, in seminary in which I, I mentioned there was one particular case uh, of an African-American man that was shot. Uh, I forget what state. Um, it was shot, killed, and I thought, I, I brought the analogy, uh, just kind of quite apparent. Um, if I, being made my way to the front of the seminary, um, and it was during a storm. It was we we manually operated the gates simply because we knew we were going to lose electricity. 
if I happen to, and this is the seminary is in a nice area, memorial area, uh, the fourth richest zip code in the United States or something like that. So I passed by on the street and saw an African guy, um, yours truly, just trying to do something with Gates. Looks as if he was to kind of get in or whatever have you. And, you know, that's something that other people just don't have to worry about. But I have to worry about. I'll think of it at the top of my head. I'm thinking of my mom's response in the case that I would sh- was shot and killed simply because of appearance. How do we look at other people is something that is intrinsically deep, something that's rooted really, really deep. Are we going to give others the benefit of the doubt to really examine our conscience and say, okay, if I am thinking that this particular person, just by the way he looks, is is going to rob a seminary or break in, um, then this person, you know, what facts do we have to justify that particular thought? If there is no fact to justify that, that leads us to subjectivity. And if it's subjectivity, what is the ground? What are those building blocks that have allowed me to have such subjection towards that idea? Um, if it's based upon a certain appearance, it's a base, if it's based upon stereotypical behavior, then maybe that needs to be called out and checked. All of us have stereotypes that need to be defeated, sure. Uh, but if it's not kept in check for the benefit of the other, um, that's something that we need to work on. I find it comparable to how, you know, we need to have a better understanding of mercy. Um, one person did one particular sin and we're not able to forgive them as much simply because we, we feel just empowered to really judge and say, no, this person did that. They need to not receive the Eucharist. Okay, but how are we really looking at that person with mercy or with condemnation? If we're not looking at someone with mercy, we have failed no matter their action. Um, maybe a better understanding also, maybe things that we need to do um, as people, as priests, uh, as general clergy, maybe understand that there, the Roman Catholic Church is not limited to the United States of America. Um, as great as this wonderful country is, the, uh, the, for instance, Pope Francis thinks of things globally. It is a universal church applicable for all human people. All human people don't exist within the confines of our beautiful 50 states. What is it? What concepts? What what problems? What dilemmas affect the whole global universe? Those are some of the things that are more important, meaning that the, the Roman Catholic Church is not limited to one particular American culture. And that's something that we just kind of sort of have to really open our hearts and really configure and think about um, ways in which we look at a particular hot button issues, abortion, immigration. Um, what are the things that kind of sort of lead up to that? I, I heard a, a particular theory of the, um, the, un, I, I lose, I lose the, the primary or primary um, topic. Uh, the primacy, I'm getting this wrong, but the, the, the most important thing issue that's on the, on the board as far as Catholic, um, the things that we as Catholics do not like, and that's that being abortion. Um, I would not engage in any uh, particular discussion um, 
to support that theory or dissuade that theory. But I will say, if abortion is the number one topic, number one issue, it's not about putting in laws and regulations to stop that, because that's like a band-aid. But what are the leading causes? What are the things that make people want to um, have such a particular notion that abortion would fix everything? If we go directly to understand those particular causes and those particular rationalities or irrationalities is what we'll call them, fears, then we understand the people, we understand the mindset, and then we can ever, we're able to affect change in a more positive light. So it's not about understanding oh, the, what, the hot button issues and thinking yay or nay, but understanding the reasons behind them, understanding the person and where they come from. It takes intentionality. I, um, I also mentioned to you uh, the seminary coming back uh, recent times in African night. Uh, African night is we have many different cultural um, events at the seminary and the seminary does a great job in supporting those kind of things. Uh, but sometimes they can be just another thing um, on a Samna Thursday night. And, you know, and it, it is uh, just another thing because we have tests and I'm a priest now. We used to have tests. We used to have different engagements, ministry, that kind of stuff. But if that, if it's, if we're only limited to celebrating another culture on one night, what are we really doing? We're just checking off a box instead of trying to understand the other person. Being set and being comfortable, as the Gospels say today, is not a remedy for harmony, but reaching out, sacrificing our own thoughts, our own things that make life palatable is the way in which we can affect great change. That's the story. That's what Jesus Christ did. He went to save the poor, save the orphan, defend the widow. If we are apt and given the opportunity and given the mindset to really dispose ourselves to do what Christ does, we can be a better church, a more harmonious church, a church in where you would see more African-American priests a Nigerian priest, different guys all over, all over the globe, especially those in the Hispanic community, to see that this is worthwhile. I have a certain integrity that the Lord wants to use uh, for the greater good, and I'm able to do it. I think we'd see an increase, definitely. And finally, how do you see your priesthood moving forward? Not just as an African-American man, but as a priest of the archdiocese. My, my name is Houston. I love that. Uh, I love my name. My dad did it. I think that's one of the best things my dad ever did for me, just naming me Houston, because it it breaks, it, it, it opens doors, not necessarily in an economic way or anything like that, but it's, in a sense, charming. Okay, this guy is Houston, and I'm for Houston. Everything I do is for this beautiful place, a place that embraces um various cultures, various peoples. Um, I see myself wanting to help build bridges to see that, yeah, that guy might be doing things a little differently, but he's just as much of a Catholic as you are. And that is beautiful. Making those accountability statements um, kind of apparent is something that I, I hope to just kind of embody. This is a place for all people. Um, and this is a church for all people simply because there is no place that Christ himself, there is no heart that Christ himself doesn't touch or doesn't seek to enter. 
um, showing that to the whole wide world, showing that to this local archdiocese is something that I hope to embody, um, not as something that is just incumbent upon me as a particular person, but something that the world itself deserves. Wow. Well, may God bless you and your priesthood. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on your ordination. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. It's my pleasure, Father. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed, or associated with, are targeted towards the content of this podcast without express approval knowledge of, of its in his light podcast is forbidden you may not edit modify or redistribute this podcast in his light podcast assumes no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website computer or playing device or opinions expressed during the in his light series podcast are solely those of the individuals involved, do not necessarily represent those of the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston and its employees. The Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston is not responsible but does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. The primary purpose of this series is to educate and inform